Welcome to Bangalore Revival Center. Here we dream revival and serve people with love. Today, Pastor Priji continues to teach from the new series, The Gospel According to Paul, where he teaches from the book of Romans. Today, he takes us through the second chapter of Romans, where he teaches on how the gospel is about glory, honor, and immortality. This season, we have been studying. We just started it last week. We've titled this series "Gospel According to Apostle Paul." We're going to be studying through the book of Romans, at least the first twelve chapters. We're going to try and read as many scriptures as possible from each chapter every Sunday morning, and we're going to try and see what is the Lord trying to teach us, what is He trying to reveal to us, what is He trying to speak to us. Um, you know, from each of these, uh, you know, revelations. This is Apostle Paul teaching the church what is the gospel. He's uh, not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to believers. And what did we see last week? We saw the seriousness of sin, where God was saying the fact that you you know me but you don't glorify me or you don't acknowledge me as God. That's a big deal, and that is the greatest sin. That when we don't have, or when we don't live a life of worship, that is a very serious sin in God's eyes. We'll continue from there. Okay, so you should understand that when Apostle Paul wrote the Book of Romans, he did not write it in chapters. He wrote it as one long letter from chapter one to chapter sixteen. So if you just read verses or text or scriptures out of context it may not make sense to you but if you read it in in a order and you have a kind of context to what we've read what we have studied so one of the things you could do every sunday is to read what we learned last week and to also read what we're going to learn that day okay there's no surprises here if we read romans 1 last week we're going to read romans 2 today next week it'll be romans 3 so just come prepared you know so you have a little bit of context and you will not take things out of context so many times one of the things that irritate me is when uh, people take things out of context and they make a whole doctrine out of it you know sometimes i listen to some preachers some uh, people that are doing you know deep bible doctrines and they are bringing it out of one verse that is taken completely out of context they won't read what happened before that or after that they'll just pick that one line up and they'll say uh, there is no god but the bible says the fool says in his heart there is but then you can just pick that one line and say oh this but there is no god you know but that's not true if you read the context you will understand why the bible says there is no god it's not the bible that is saying there is no god it's the fool that says in his heart that there is no god so a half truth is actually a lie and so it's necessary that we learn scripture in its entirety are you ready to go into romans chapter 2 we'll begin with verse 1 it says now again like i said you need to know the context right you need to know where we are coming from romans chapter 2 and verse 1 the bible says you may think you can condemn such people but you are just as bad and you have no excuse who is apostle paul writing to who is he talking about he is talking to the church 
And he has actually given a history of people that are sinners. You remember we read a, a, a category of sinners, right, last time? Anybody? Uh, all those very wild things that they do to each other. And, and, he, and he is writing to the church in chapter 2 verse 1 and he says, Now you guys that call yourselves, let's say, Jews or Christians or believers in Christ Jesus, you may think that you can actually condemn those kind of people because they have a very bad lifestyle or they have sinful tendencies or they do things, they say things that are completely anti what you believe in. So you may think that you can now condemn them. But Paul says, but wait a minute, you guys, you are just as bad. (laughs) This is funny because Paul is not writing to non-believers. Paul is writing to the church. You remember, right? In chapter 1, he began by saying, I'm writing to the saints of God, to the elect of God, to the chosen ones, to the ones that are called by God. And now Paul says, you are just as bad as them. Now, if you read the category of sinners in chapter 1, you'll be horrified to think that Paul would say, we are just as bad as them. You know, you remember from last week. And it says, and you have no excuse. Because when you say that they are wicked and should be punished, what you're doing is you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others, you do these very same things. Now, this is something very wrong about us believers and Christians is the fact that we are constantly good at pointing fingers at someone else who is not doing their job right or who is not living up to uh, their standards and who is not living up to our standards and we are very poor at pointing fingers at ourselves. We know how to tell others how to do their job better but we don't know how to judge ourselves. Jesus said it like this, don't judge others because with the same measure that you judge them, you will also be judged. He's in fact saying, hey, when you judge these people and when you condemn them, when you say there is no hope for these guys, you know, I think that more than the enemy doing this, the Christians, the church, we condemn the sinners more. Because we are constantly looking at their lifestyles and we are constantly looking at what's happening in our cities and we are speaking negative over their lives and we are saying, man, nothing good is going to come out of this city. Nothing great is going to come out of this government. This is doomed. This is, you know, going into failure. We, We are constantly speaking words of condemnation. And then we are wondering, why is it that our lives don't match up to the heart and the mind and the word of God. He's saying, hey, what is the difference between you guys and them? The fact is they do it out of ignorance and we do it knowing that we are wrong. Understanding that many of the things that we do are wrong, we still do it. So one thing that we have to begin uh, from the beginning that we have to realize and we have to accept is that condemnation cannot be part of our gospel. This is a gospel which speaks the truth. This is a gospel that brings what God is speaking to people. But we have to do that without condemning them. We have to do that without judging them. We have to do that without pointing fingers at them saying, you're always wrong and you're always bad. We have to do it in love. We have to get to the root of the issue. Because anybody can look at somebody who is... Uh, you know, doing something wrong and say you are a sinner. But not everybody can 
go to the root of the issue and say, hey, why, why, why do you think this is happening here? Why do you think this? Because when God spoke to Adam and Eve, God didn't just say, oh, how disobedient you are, how wrong you are. He, his question was, who told you you are naked? Who told you that? Tell me the root of your sin and I can help you to get out of this sin. God is not, you see, this is before Jesus, okay? This is before, you know, Jesus could pay the price of our sins. God still didn't condemn them. The, when, when, when Adam and Eve were ashamed and when Adam and Eve came to God and said, we've, we've lost it, we've lost the glory, we've lost, we, are, we are naked, we are ashamed, the question that God told them is, tell me who told you this. Tell me the source of where you found out this and I will help you to overcome the bondage of this sin. And eventually, what, what was the end of the story? It ended with God covering them. The same problem that they brought to God. Their problem was, they, 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 if they had the spiritual intelligence to say, okay, God, we've lost a relationship with you, then that's what they would have gotten at that day. But they just said, uh, you know, I'm just feeling ashamed that I don't have clothes on. And that's what they got. Whatever they came to God for, they went back receiving the answers for that. They came to God saying, we are, we are ashamed, we are naked. God covered them and sent them out covered. Now, can you imagine us believers and us Christians, we will be like, man, I know why she came to church. She didn't come to church for God. She came because she wanted more money. She came because she, you know, you don't see God doing this. When, when, when somebody comes to God for clothing, God will give them clothing and send them off. That is the goodness of God. You know, when, when the son, prodigal son returns back home, you, you know, the father is not saying, I know why you're back. You, you, you don't have chicken curry there, no? You've been eating pork food and, and that is why you're back here. And, you know, the, it's, I mean, that's what we do. And, and we think that we are preaching the gospel. That's not how you preach the gospel. Condemning others cannot be part of preaching the gospel. God, Jesus came into the world not to condemn the sinners, but to love them, to accept them, to give them his freedom. Because when we judge them, the Bible says in this verse, because when we judge them, we, it's actually bringing judgment upon ourselves. We are attracting the judgment of God upon ourselves. Another thing to note here is the fact that, you know, Paul is saying, uh, hey, your sins is as grievous as their sins is. Now, what were their sins? You know, if you read chapter one, you will see disobedience, you will see homosexuality, you would say, you would see greed, hatred, all these kinds of vile sins, right? And then Paul would look at the church and say, guys, your sin is as grievous as that is. You cannot say that is, man, hell-deserving sin and mine is just like, you know, just a correction from pastor and I'll be like perfect. No, your sin is as bad as theirs. So never should you, you know, feel spiritually superior to somebody else because you're, you're not as bad as them. You know, that you don't go to the pubs that they go to and you don't drink what they drink and you, you know, we, Sin is sin in God's eyes. It could be the tiniest sin of eating a fruit that you're not supposed to eat. Or it can be as great as claiming to be, you know, or wanting to be God in heaven. Like what Lucifer did. 
both of it deserves the same punishment both of it deserves hell both of it deserves death both of it deserves to be separated from god verse 2 he says and we know that god in his justice will punish anyone who does such things look at your neighbor and say anyone that includes you now look at the same person and say that includes me too anybody because see this is this is what the this is what justice demands the kjv would say truth the fact that this is a god of truth uh, another translation would say the the rightness of god because god when he makes decisions he does he 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 does right choices right things and this rightness of god this righteousness of god would require not only to you know reward the ones that are doing well but also to condemn and to hurt, you know judge the ones that you know are not doing well and the bible says hey he knows everything and he will punish not just the ones outside but those inside the church as well verse 3 since you judge others for doing these things why do you think you can avoid god's judgment when you do the same things so you know paul is giving us a key to avoid god's judgment he's saying stop judging others start judging yourself start examining your own life start questioning your motives start questioning why why you come to church start questioning why you give your tithes or offerings start questioning why you behaved in a particular way in a particular relationship start questioning yourself stop examining your neighbor and start examining ourselves and second what are you saying is rather than spending all your time trying to figure out how to judge my neighbor i should be spending all my time trying to figure out how i can help and provide for their weaknesses how can i stand with my brother in his moment of struggle to make sure he doesn't fall again because anybody can do that right anybody can look at a dirty guy and say you're dirty but only the ones that have the spiritual maturity to go and give them a bath and say okay i will cover you i will stand here in the gap i'll make sure nobody knows about it i'll pray for you during this season i'm 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 with you you don't have to feel lonely you don't have to feel hurt you don't have to feel sad i'm with you in this season i'll help you through this process that is the key that is what paul is telling us hey can the church become a place like that where we rather than running away from uh, people that have vile sins that we run to them and we say wow i'm i'm with you in this i'll help you through this season i'll you know can you imagine how easy it will be for somebody that is struggling to come and open up to us if we become a church like that how easy will it be for somebody to just come and say okay this is my struggle this is my area of failure this is my area of uh, brokenness this is where i am and rather than condemning them you will just say okay i'll stand with you friend i'll be i'll be here i'll be here i'll be right here rather than gossiping about that person you just you know write it down in your note and just say this is what i'll be praying every day and you keep following up with that person and you know one of the things that we sadly do is we spread gossip rather than praying about it if if only we could talk to god more about that problem about that person's problem than talking to other people if we can just constantly just embrace this 
heart in this desire to see people being restored than them being judged. That was Jonah's problem, right? Jonah's problem was like, man, how can God forgive this city? This is a city that I hate. This is a city that God should also hate. This is a city that deserves this punishment. Man, I, I can't imagine why God will not pour you know, the sulfur and just wipe out the entire city. And here is Abraham. He's saying, God, if you find 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you please spare this land? I know they deserve it, but will you please rethink your decision? If you will find 40 people, if you just find 10 people, Lord, 10 people, if I can raise 10 righteous people in this city, will you please spare this city for the sake of that 10 righteous? That is the heart of a prophet. That is the heart of a godly man and a godly woman. That is the heart of the gospel that we are preaching. Jesus came into the world not to condemn this world, but to show them that God loves them, to, to give salvation to anybody that would receive him and welcome him in. Verse 4, don't you see, now this is writing to the church, okay? Now don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? But when it is with somebody else, we feel that God is patient too much. But with me, you know, God understands. With them, they have a very bad intention. You know, they are like, you know, they have lost it. They have sinned too many times. But with me, no, no, no. My, I, my situation, God understands. God knows my bank balance. God knows my children's situation. God knows my family. We, we always judge ourselves by our motives and the other person by their actions, yeah? And, and here, is, here is the Bible saying, don't you see how God has been kind to you? How God has been patient with you? The Amplified Bible, I love this translation. It says, do you have no regard for the wealth of his kindness and tolerance and patience? There is a wealth of God's kindness towards you this morning, church. There is a wealth of his patience towards you. There is a wealth of his tolerance towards you. But when we choose not to show the same kindness to others, we have no regard to the, to the kindness God is showing to us. That is what the Bible is saying. That when we judge others, when we condemn others, when we point fingers at others, then we are in fact disregarding, disrespecting, disconnecting ourselves from the wealth of kindness and blessings and, and tolerance and patience that God has been showing towards us disregarding that in fact it says you know don't you know this don't you know that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin you know what we think if only God could be a little more harsh with that guy no that guy will come on the line you know if only one fatak he gets he should lose his job at least at least he should get a salary cut then he will learn his lesson. The Bible says, no, 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 no. That's not how he learns his lesson. It's the kindness. The other translation says, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. What, what is the gospel we are preaching? Come on, church. Are, are, we, are, we, are we renewing our mind this morning? Because it's not the judgment of God that leads people to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. So you should know the, 
the last seven years of, of human history on the planet earth before Jesus returns. There will be a time of crazy turmoil on the earth. There will be a time where there will be the whole creation will act up. And if you read through the book of Revelation, you will see how the, the Lord is saying, you know, I was hoping somebody will change, but nobody changed. Nobody repented. I was hoping somebody will stop their idol worship and somebody will stop their wild way of living, but nobody did that. Why? Because what is a display is not necessarily the kindness of God at this point. What is a display is the, is the, is the anger of God, is the wrath of God, is the judgment of God. And that is not what brings people to repentance as much as the goodness of God does. So this season, you and I, we have to be carriers of His goodness. When people interact with you, they have to have a glimpse of how good our God is. They have to know how forgiving God is, how, how, how tolerant God is. Having a grateful heart. You know, if we, we have a grateful heart for the, for the wealth of kindness, tolerance and patience we have received from God, now we will, that will be exemplified in how we show that to others. And, and we will be carriers of the same kindness and goodness that will help people now to flee to change from a life of sin to a life of living for God. I like uh, how the Amplified Bible uh, says, uh, quotes the rest half of this verse. It says, are you actually unaware or ignorant of the fact that God's kindness leads you to repentance? What does it mean to be repentant? It is to change your inner self, your old way of thinking and to seek his purpose for your life not just to you know change uh, from one religion to another or to change from one habit to another no it's to change your inner self that in your heart there'll be a new there'll be a change there'll be a transformation and in your mind in your in your thinking there will be a transformation there will be a change in your trans in, in, in the way that you think and you believe and the, the third thing that will change is the purpose for your life. How you, you know, what is the motivation for your life? Why do you live your life? What, what are you pursuing with everything that you're doing in your life? That has to change. The purpose of your life. You, are you living your life for yourself? Are you living your life for a purpose that is greater than yourself? Greater than your family? Greater than your church? Greater than your own, uh, you know, circle? Are you living your life for a higher purpose? That is the true meaning of repentance. We have reduced repentance to just crying at the altar just before we take communion. No, that's not just repentance. Repentance is upgrading your lifestyle changing your life from living for earthly purposes to living for heavenly purposes. If we can do that on a daily basis, if we can make repentance our lifestyle, that will be proof that you are you're encountering the goodness of God daily. The goodness of God is not just meant to make you feel good. The goodness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. The goodness of God is meant to upgrade your lifestyle, to change you from living an earthly life to living a heavenly life, seeking His purpose for our lives. That is the only way to lead a sin-free life. Will you remember that? The only way to lead a sin-free life is to seek God's purposes for your life. 
when you step out of god's purposes for your life you are bound to fail you are bound to commit sins you're bound to go astray you're bound to do things that is you know out of control you know for the prodigal son it meant that he takes his father's property before his death that was the inheritance gained hastily see inheritance was never supposed to be given till the father dies only when the father dies can the children have inheritance now he could he could have taken that inheritance and done something well with his life right but the fact that he stepped outside the purpose for his life he stepped outside one thing that opened up the doors for that money to be stolen that for him to have a wild life everything that happened as a result of him taking that inheritance was because he stepped outside the purpose of god so what you should be worried about is not my doing the right thing what you should be worried about is what is god's purpose for my life this week what is the will of god for my day for today who are the people god wants me to hang out with who are the people god wants me to interact with what is your will the bible says jesus would depend on the father day by day isaiah 54 morning by morning he would pray and and he would ask his father to awaken his heart awaken his will to the father's will every day and he said i don't do anything that i have not seen my father do i only do those things that i have seen my father do if my father has not healed somebody then i don't heal somebody if my father has not spoken something then i don't speak the same thing i do only what i've heard or seen my father do so for a child of god you know at least in this community at least in this church we have upgraded our lifestyle amen our lifestyle is not saying okay as long as you don't you know do these 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 things you are you're safe you're doing well and you know you're on your way to heaven no that's not what we are after we are after seeking the purposes of god for our lives amen i know we are running out of time so i'm going to read a little faster now is that okay can you please go back and meditate on romans chapter 2 and get your own revelations about the gospel of jesus It says verse 5 but because you are stubborn and you refuse to turn from your sin you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself it doesn't say god is storing punishment for you who is storing we are storing up why because of our stubbornness because we are not having a daily lifestyle of repentance because we have hard hearts it says that we are storing up sometimes we look at god as the villain in our story i want to enjoy my life but you know but god will not no no it's not god it's choices in your hands god is saying you decide if you want to enjoy my anger or my goodness you decide what you want to store if you want to store blessings or if you want to store anger punishment it says for a day of anger is coming when god's righteous judgment it will be revealed see that that tells me that i have to i have to take this thing of repentance very seriously i cannot just make it a one time affair or once in a life right when i'm getting saved right when i'm becoming a christian i repent and then i go on to live however i want to live i cannot do that now i have to change my uh, theology on repentance to doing some to making that part and parcel of my daily walk with god repentance has to become my lifestyle 
Amen? Verse 6, it says, He will judge. Read it loudly. One, two, three, go. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. Everyone. He's going to judge everybody. But this, this is not, you know, God saying, I have to now hurt you because you've been bad. This is God just repaying you for what you've been storing up here on earth. You remember what did we read last line? You are storing up for yourself what? Judgment. Now this is God saying, okay, this is what you are storing yourself up for. Now let me just, you know, give it off to you. You know, you let me just liquidate your fixed uh, deposit. You know, whatever, you know, you know that uh, if you put some money in the bank after a while, it adds interest, adds interest. And finally when you get it, you are like surprised, man, I have some money in my hand. But that's what will happen when we stand before God's judgment throne. This is true for both good things and for bad things. There are, there are things that you've been doing right now that you don't see the reward or the blessing of it immediately. But there will come a day when you will be surprised when God shows up and He judges you and He gives you the reward of your good doing now. Sometimes it's very easy to get discouraged. Look at the circumstances and say, oh wait, I've been so, I've been so faithful. I look at my tithes. Look at my, I don't seem to have answers. But there is a day coming. You know, it says it's the day of anger. If you read the book of Revelation, it talks about the wrath of God being poured out. Okay, I, I don't remember the exact verse, but it says that when the wrath of God manifests, it is going to judge the people of the world and it is going to honor God's servants, elevate God's servants. The same anger which is destruction to somebody is a blessing to somebody else. The same justice which is going to be a punishment for somebody is going to be a rewarding system for somebody else. And that's what it says. He will judge everyone according to what they have done, how they have lived. He is going to judge every single person according to what they have done. And the, and, and the Bible says that this technically like repayment of what is naturally owed to us. Why, why are we going through all of this? This will set the basics for us to understand what Jesus did. See, we, we're not finishing with Romans 2. We have so much more to cover in the later uh, part of the book of Romans, what Jesus has done, how he paid our debt, how he, you know, came in the, in the gap and he said, okay, wait, this is what was owed to him and I will pay his uh, payment and he canceled that debt. And, and so now it is no longer all the things that was, all the anger that was owed to me, somebody else took that on himself. Yeah, that is what Jesus did. We'll, we'll study that much later, but this is laying a solid foundation for you to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, what Jesus truly did. Sometimes we just trivialize it by saying, oh, God loves you. If you will pray a prayer, you will get to heaven. You know, you don't have to worry about hell. We just make it very tiny, but it's not as easy or as small as you think it is. It says, verse 7, he will give eternal life. To those who keep on doing good, everybody say keep on. Which means it has to be persistent. There has to be patience. You cannot give up. There has to be perseverance in your willingness to do what you're called to be doing. And it says, 
he will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good while seeking after the glory the honor and the immortality that god offers what are we supposed to seek after say it after me the glory the honor and the immortality that who offers god offers you know i i did a lot of you know study on this particular verse to find out what it says in the root word what it says in the other translations and everywhere it means the same glory honor and immortality god is wanting the church to pursue the glory that he gives us god wants us to seek after the honor that he gives us not the honor that you get from being called a righteous man in your church no god wants us to pursue the honor that you get by by serving him there is an honor that god wants to give you and i he says seek that glory seek that honor seek that immortality you know wherever we go whatever we do whether it be our business whether it be our uh, you know family what are we seeking through family we are seeking immortality we are seeking for a line that will carry my name somebody that will represent me after i am gone what are we doing with our uh you know when we invest into a place we we are looking for glory in one way or the other we're looking for honor in one way or the other but god says you're looking for the right things but in the wrong place you come to me and let me give you the glory the honor and the immortality this is a gospel of glory this is a gospel that brings you honor this is a gospel that brings you immortality it says he will give eternal life to only those that are persistent in doing this and they are persistent in seeking glory honor and immortality from me not from the world around them not from their work not from their uh ministry even not from those things that they enjoy doing no you come to me and you expect me to give you the satisfaction that you need for your heart you expect me to give you the contentment that you've been praying and waiting on the lord for you expect me to fill you with that grace to be immortal and i'm going to give you eternal life says the lord verse 8 but to one category he is going to give eternal life but to another he will pour out his anger read it with me and his wrath on those who live for themselves what is the what is the agenda of the world around us you live only once just do what you want to do do what you feel like doing do what your heart says you should do what does the bible say because those that live for themselves what will happen to them there is anger and wrath that is going to be poured out please trust me i'm my taking things out of context here and you can read it in all the different translations that you can i I've, i've read it and i've come just to make sure i'm not saying anything that you know it's not there another version says i think this is the king james version it says those who are contentious you know what it means to be contentious it means to be uh divisive or to be uh argumentative or to be constantly you know picking up fights Do you, do you see god says that is a manifestation of selfishness when you're constantly living a contentious life no we are called to be at peace with everybody and it says self seeking contentious those who refuse to obey the truth 
and those who live lives of wickedness what is stored up for them what will god pour out upon them wrath and anger verse 9 there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil for the jew first and also for the gentile so it means this is not just for christians or non christians this is for everybody just because you prayed a particular prayer and just because you got a church membership doesn't mean you're exempt from judgment for everybody that keeps on doing evil and keeps on living for themselves and keeps on living contentious lives and keeps on uh, doing what their heart wants them to do keeps on living lives of wickedness it says there is trouble and calamity that is stored up for them for everybody uh, so so my my question to you you is this what what do you want to do what do you want to choose do you want to choose the glory the honor and the immortality that god wants to offer you or do you want to choose the glory and the honor and the immortality that your own habits or your own lifestyle or your own thinking in your thinking you feel that if i do this 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 with my money man i i'm 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 going to be immortal you think that if i can just you know do these these things with my ministry man my legacy is is done it's it's etched in stone do you want to trust in yourself or do you want to trust in this jesus who also wants to give you the same thing but in his own way when you live for his purposes when you live for his glory his honor verse 10 it says but there will be glory and honor and peace from god for all who do good for the jew first and for the gentile did you see how it it continues to say jew and gentile if you read in chapter 1 you would see the same thing jew and gentile this is not something only for believers only who who follow a certain religion only who certain who fall in a particular category is for everybody the jew and the gentile this is open for everybody that those who uh, will continue to do good now what did what does it mean to do good we will read that study that in detail at a later point uh, as we go into the book of romans but but currently we have to uh we have to understand what the scripture says the scripture says that when we continue to do what is good when we continue to live lives that honor god that honor his presence then we will experience glory honor and peace from god amen verse 11 this this is why apostle paul is pushing on again and again saying jew and gentile why because god shows no favoritism now now we'll understand why why paul is saying this verse 12 he says when the gentiles sin let, let's replace gentiles with unbelievers here okay is that okay because he's writing to jews who had the revealed word of god who had the word of god being revealed to them uh, we are going to call the gentiles as unbelievers because they in our context they are the ones who don't know the word of god okay so i'm going to read it like this when the unbelievers sin they will be destroyed even though they have never read the bible and when believers you and i who know who have the word of god who have the instruction of god when we sin we will be judged by the word when we fail to obey it do you understand what the bible is saying 
He's saying that judgment is available and is applicable to both categories, Christians and non-Christians alike, Jews and Gentiles alike. To the Jews, it will be based on the law that was given to them. But to the Gentiles, it will be based on something else. We'll read that further. Which means that sin is universal. Judgment to sin is also universal. It goes on to say in verse 13, for merely listening to the Lord doesn't make us right with God. It is obedience to this law that makes us right with God. So last week we learned a very important characteristic in our pursuit of the gospel of God. It is the lack of worship. You know, that when there is no worship, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about repositioning people's worship. Today we learn a very essential uh, and a very important thing, which is that the gospel of Jesus Christ realigns and repositions your obedience, who you obey and what you obey. It has to change once you encounter the gospel of Jesus. When we, when we preach the good news of Jesus to people, it's not just telling them, okay, why don't you just you know, choose an easier way of life? No, we are telling them what to obey now who to obey now, who to live for from here. And that's why the Bible says, it's not enough that you listen to the word of God. How many of you are listening to the word of God this morning? Lord, help those that, have not, that are not listening to me right now. It says it's not enough to listen. But it's necessary that we obey. Because merely listening doesn't make us right with God. Listening and being in the community of listeners, being in, in with Christians, that doesn't make us right with God. Obedience is more important than religious following of the, the church. You know, obedience is more important than religious attending church services. Obedience is more important than your sacrificial giving to God. Obedience is more important than everything that we religiously do. You know, like I told you, we go on that autopilot mode, right? But it's necessary that we remain obedient to God. We remain obedient to God. We cannot lose the heart, the intentionality. Because sometimes we can become so religious and we are like doing something on point. And in doing that, we can actually begin to fight what God is actually asking us to do. We've seen that so many times. Verse 14, it says, Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law, they show that they know this law when they instinctively obey it, even though they have never heard it. Last week we saw something like this, where God is saying, there are, other, there are people that don't know God's law, but God has revealed himself to them through the creation. His sovereign grace, his sovereign love, it's been revealed to people. But now God is saying, there is something more deeper than what has been revealed in creation. There is something that is imprinted in their hearts. There is something that, you know, they're, they're, they're custom wired for living for God. You and I, you, you can never say, man, this is how I am. I'm, I, you know, I'm just an angry person. Or I'm just, uh, this is my weakness, yeah. You know, don't, no, that's, that's, that's something that the enemy has convinced you over the years that that's who you are. That's not who you are. You are custom made to live for God. 
even if you are a gentile even if you are an unbeliever not because you are a christian even if you are an unbeliever there is this instinctive nature inside of you the the handiwork of god on the inside of you that makes you want to do right what we do is we try to shut that voice we try to package it in such a way that soundproof it so well that it doesn't come to our head yeah that's what we do with our consciences that's what we do with the that voice in our hearts and that's why after a while we don't feel bad about doing the things that we used to feel so guilty about doing 10 years back because we've numbed out that voice it says in verse 15 they demonstrate that god's law is written where in the constitution of the nation no where is it written it's written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right who are we talking about spirit filled holy christians no who are we talking about gentiles who have no understanding of god's word who have who don't know what the law is they've never heard it and the bible says these guys they have this written on their hearts and in their conscience heart i would say is the root of your emotions can i say that when i when i'm referring to heart can i say that that's your emotion that's what you feel you feel in your heart right come on now don't get theological and philosophical with me this morning uh, don't get lost when i when i say heart i'm saying your feelings yeah you feel in a certain way then it says your conscience which is more deeper than your feelings and then your thoughts what are the three things mentioned there god's law is written in their hearts their conscience and their thoughts it's written it's written so which means your your mind is programmed to obey god your your feelings is programmed to obey god your conscience is programmed to obey god what we do and what the enemy does constantly in our lives from the time we are children to the time we have reached wherever we have reached today is that he is constantly working to mar those emotions to destroy those those feelings in your heart to destroy those thought processes what he's doing consciously trying to destroy your conscience destroy that 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 voice on the inside of you where god's word is written where god's voice is etched in stone the enemy is constantly working to try and destroy that so this morning one of the things that you and i could pray is god restore my heart give me that childlike heart renew my mind you know to back to my original state how i should have been in the very beginning restore my conscience let my conscience not be not be numb to to sin let me never become numb to sin let me never let my conscience never get used to doing something that is wrong lord give me the grace to you know preserve these three aspects of my life because there are there are going to be times and seasons when you know the pastor is not standing uh, outside your door knocking and telling you hey you're doing the wrong thing you're making the wrong choice don't go this way don't spend your money there are going to be things that pastors don't know but your heart knows there are going to be things that your mind knows there are going to be areas where your conscience can continue to help you because it's it says it's custom made programmed to obey god 
verse 16 are you ready it says this is the message i proclaim that in the day that the day is coming when god through jesus christ will judge everyone's secret life let me define what is secret life here okay secret life is anything that you have not exposed to the light anything that you have not brought to the light now there are things that you have brought to the light like there are things that you have come and told me or you have come and told one of our elders and you're like i need help in these areas that's no longer secret you may still be struggling you may still be in pain but now that is exposed you know there is already correction given there is already help given there is already you know change that is pushed on you you know either by your family or by your church whoever it is around you cares for you they will you know make your life a little harder right they'll make sure to follow up and say hey did you go there again did you say that again did you do that again you know how's how's life been in this last one week and they'll keep checking on you and they'll make it a little hard for you that's that's good but then there are those areas of our life which we feel that i can deal with this on my own as long as you can deal with it on your own great but if you don't deal with it on your own see there are things it says that when you give to somebody you should do it in secret why does it say you should do it in secret do you know why it says you should do it in secret because your father in heaven will what if you do it in public why is it gone you already got your reward there is that's what jesus said no because people acknowledging your reward is your reward you got your reward here on earth so now god doesn't have to reward you now i'll apply the same thing with your sin now when we sin and we are willing to bring it to the light and we get punished here we get hurt here in the process of your pastors correcting you and and what happens to the sin that is not brought to the light that that god has to deal with those things because that your pastors couldn't deal with it that people on the earth they didn't see it and they couldn't deal with it now that god has to deal with it as long as you have brought it you know in the right place you have dealt with it praise god but if you have not dealt with it you have to either figure out a way to bring your heart and your thought and your conscience back into place or you have to figure out a way to bring it to the light because else we are in it says paul says this is my gospel that jesus is coming to judge judge the good things and the bad things he's not coming to have a pity party you know and say oh wow you had such a sad time no he he's coming to judge this time when he comes he's coming as a judge he's going to rule the world with a rod of iron and you and i will be judging with him okay do you know this we will be co-judges with him we'll be on the jury with jesus we will also be judging people so when i'm judging people if any of you show up in my <laughs> court <laughs> i'm telling you it's going to be a tough time for you that day <laughs> i'm just kidding but see i'm not judging you now so i can judge you then okay I'm just just kidding but jesus is coming to judge everybody's secret life lord i pray that our church we will grow out of this phase we will not have a secret life 
we we don't want a secret life we don't want a secret life at least in the things that we 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 can be punished or we can be judged we don't want a secret life here on earth yeah there are things that we should keep secret and there are things that we should not keep secret help us lord give us the grace to not yes holy spirit invade our lives you know when god uh, came to adam and eve god is like why are you hiding what are you what are, what are you hiding that was god's concern what are you hiding why are you not exposing the the struggle we are just 5 minutes away can we quickly read the remaining few verses of this entire chapter okay verse 18 it says you know what he wants this is jesus we are talking about you know what is right because you have been taught his taught the law so this morning those of you who are in church those of you receiving his word do you know what what you are being what you are getting you know what he wants you know his will another translation says you know his will now that you're being taught god's word you know his will and it says you know what is right you know what is superior you know what is excellent you know what are the things that really matter because now you've been taught now you've been instructed you're not without an excuse paul says verse 19 you're convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a and a light for people who are lost in darkness and in fact that's how we are supposed to be jesus said we are the light in this world right we are supposed to be the guide we are supposed to be the help but the problem is verse 20 you think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of god for you're certain that god's law gives you complete knowledge and truth does it do absolutely does god's word give you knowledge and truth yes it does and should it overflow into us instructing teaching others yes it should but verse 21 it says but you guys you who teach others why don't you also teach yourself first when we teach others before teaching ourselves see this whole week i was using romans chapter 2 to judge me because i can't come and bring romans 2 to you if i have not used it to judge myself if i have not been judging my own attitude it says why don't you first teach yourself because when you teach yourself first and when you change your life first that is what qualifies you to now teach others it's not the other way around it says you tell others not to steal but do you steal you tell you look at you know these millionaires that are stealing money from banks but do you cheat on your taxes do you cheat on your tithes do you take a business and don't do your part of the business what is it do you lie do you steal it says next verse 22 You say it is wrong to commit adultery he's just giving a few examples okay he's saying you say it is wrong to commit adultery but do you commit adultery you condemn idolatry but do you use items stolen from pagan temples he's trying to make it relevant to their culture at that point and he's saying but church let me ask you do you also do idol worship in your own way do you also do adultery in your own way verse 23 you are so proud of knowing the law you're so proud you you boast about the fact that you're regular to church but but you dishonor god by breaking what's written in the word of god 
Can you imagine the Bible says you dishonor God? If we have to understand the gospel of Jesus, we have to understand the importance of obedience. We have to understand how we have to reposition our obedience to this place where we honor God's law, where we honor God's word. It says verse 24, no wonder the scriptures say, the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Unbelievers, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6, it says that Jesus is uh, crucified back to the cross and we, you and I, we subject him to public shame when we do evil and wild things. Because of us, the Gentiles, unbelievers, they blaspheme God's name. They blaspheme the one that we love. Verse 25, the Jewish ceremony of circumcision. I'm, I'm going to translate it to our language. Is that okay? Please don't pick a fight with me for this. You know, we'll, if you want an argument or a conversation, we'll sit and do it later. I'll say it like this. The Christian ceremony of baptism, communion, church attendance, all of it has a value only if you obey God's word. But if you don't obey God's word, you're no better than a non-baptized person. You're no better than somebody that doesn't take communion. You're no better than somebody that don't go to church. You're no better. Verse 26, and if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? If the Gentiles obey, the, the root, the actual translation says that if the uncircumcised obey God's word, won't God consider them to be circumcised? So there are people who have not actually done all the religious things that you and I do, but they can obey God. They can obey His voice and they can be considered more righteous and more faithful than you and I who, who are on the outside looking like we do the right things, but on the inside, we are going crazy. Verse 27, in fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews and you who are circumcised then possess God's law but don't obey it. Jesus said something similar. He said, the people of Nineveh will stand in judgment against this generation because they repented with the preaching of uh, Jonah. The, another thing he said, and I think this is Matthew chapter 12, verse 41 and 42. He said, the queen of Sheba, she traveled a whole distance to come and hear the wisdom of Solomon. But she will rise up in judgment against you guys. Because she came to hear the wisdom of a Solomon who is, whose wisdom is fading away. But here you have the voice of Jesus and you ignore it. Here you have the presence of Jesus, the greatest prophet, and you take it for granted. You take it lightly and you don't obey. He says, he says the uncircumcised Gentiles will condemn us. How sad would it be that when we are standing before God's throne, some of the people that we made fun of in our workplaces, if they come and say, wait, 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 this guy, no. Yeah. You only saw him in church. I'll tell you what he did from Monday to Friday. I know it's something that should make us sad. It should make us go, ouch. It says, verse 28, says, for you are not a true Christian, just because you are born of Christian parents or because you attend a Christian church 
or because you have gone through a ceremony of baptism and you have a certificate from your church. No, verse 29. No, he's talking about Jewish Jews, right? He says, no, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely just obeying the letter of the law. It is a change of heart. How is the change of heart produced? It is produced by the Holy Spirit. And a person with a changed heart, what does he seek? Glory, honor, and immortality that God offers them. Do you understand where it finished? He says, a person with a changed heart, he seeks praise from God and not from people. What did we begin with? We began with saying this is the gospel of glory, this is the gospel of honor, this is the gospel of immortality. And where we find this glory, where we seek this honor, where we seek this immortality, that shows if you are a born-again Christian or not. Not your certificate of baptism. Come, Michael. Not your church attendance. Not your tithing. None of, that is not the proof. The proof is where you seek your glory, where you seek your honor, where do you find your immortality. Thank you for tuning in for today's sermon. We hope this word has been a blessing to you. Do visit us at dreamingrevival.com for more information. You're welcome to tune in every Sunday for our live celebration service at 11 a.m. at youtube.com slash God bless you and have a blessed week.